Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, Audings. This is the Something Scary Podcast. I'm your Ate Sapphire. Today's episode will leave you feeling very reflective. I don't know about you, but there's just something eerie about mirrors, isn't there? So it's no wonder they're the base of many superstitions, rituals, and sightings. And that's what today's episode is all about. First, we'll listen to a short, true story from my cousin about the time she played Bloody Mary. Then, we'll try to uncover the secret of the Daylight Manor, and finally, learn the truth about a mysterious mirror. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the Dark Five podcast featuring Rachel Evans, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I also have a very special announcement to make. If you want more from Something Scary, we just launched a Patreon. By becoming a member, you get access to exclusive posts, videos, live streams, and much more. Head on over to patreon.com snarled for more details. But before we get into today's episode, I'd like to start off with some listener mail. I got a very interesting email from Two regarding last week's story about a Hmong couple and a funeral. Two writes, I just want to start off by saying that I'm a big fan of your podcast and YouTube channel. I listen and watch your channels religiously. I've never been one to be scared easily, but your most recent podcast episode scared the crap out of me. Let me preface by saying that I myself am Hmong, and our culture is a very superstitious one. So again, when I got the notification that you've uploaded a new episode on your podcast, Tasty Terror, I was ecstatic. The first story was definitely creepy. And then I heard you mention that the second story was about a Hmong couple. It wasn't so much the story that scared me, but rather the particular audio that you used to create the funeral atmosphere. Yes, the woodwind instrument used at funerals. You see, this instrument is specifically used to help direct the lost soul or the dead to its sound. Elders say that the way the instrument is played is very similar to how a person would say, come over here. The way the drum beats signifies the dead asking, where to? As soon as I heard the audio clip, I paused the podcast immediately. According to our belief, the sound of this woodwind instrument is strictly forbidden to be played inside one's household, especially the clip that you used. It's specifically the song played during funeral proceedings, and it is said that if one is careless, 
you may accidentally invite the dead into your home. I understand that not all of your viewers are Hmong, but please provide a warning for those that are. It truly is not something we get around about. There are many skeptics, yes, but I personally would exercise caution. Anyways, thank you for taking your time to read this lengthy email. Keep doing what you do best and give us something to be scared about. Firstly, I'd like to thank Tu for sharing that information with me. I really, truly appreciate it when listeners share important details like this with me because I want to be as respectful as possible. But if it makes you and any other Hmong listeners feel better about listening to that episode, I did slow the audio down and distort it a bit so it's not exactly the sound of the instrument or funeral song. Thanks for listening, and if any of you have additional takes or reactions to any of the stories on this podcast, you can email somethingscary at snarl.com. So, want to hear something scary? This first story is probably one of my favorite family anecdotes, and it was actually the very first episode of Something Scary over on youtube.com slash snarled, so feel free to check that out after. Sixteen-year-old Sarah was spending the night at her friend Lauren's. Sarah wanted to watch fun, romantic comedies, but Lauren wanted to do something a little more risky. She wanted to play Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary is a game that, if done properly, summons the spirit of an angry, headless woman in your mirror. Some say she is the spirit of Mary Tudor, who burned over 280 religious dissenters at the stake. In order to summon her, you must stand in front of a mirror in a room lit only by candlelight. Close your eyes and chant Bloody Mary three times while spinning. When you open your eyes, Mary will appear in the mirror. But if you stay too long, she will reach through the glass and claw your face. Most people believe that her apparition is only a hallucination brought upon by the dimly lit room and the spinning. But Lauren didn't care. She wanted to try. So they went into the bathroom, lit some candles, and chanted. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. When they opened their eyes and looked in the mirror, they both saw a floating red mass. They screamed and ran out of the bathroom and under the bedsheets. They didn't enter that room again the rest of the night. After they caught their breath, they both tried to rationalize what they saw. Maybe it was just a hallucination. Maybe they simply mistook their own reflections for a bloody one. Lauren said she wanted to watch a romantic comedy now, and they left. Half an hour into the movie, they had completely forgotten about what had happened in the bathroom. Then, Lauren's dad stepped inside the room. Hey, ladies, uh, are either of you on your period? Dad! Sorry, sorry, not, not trying to make you feel weird, but, uh, when you get a moment, could you clean the bathroom? There's, um, there's blood all over the floor. Oh, man, when I was younger, my cousin used to tell me all sorts of crazy stories. 
I mean, looking back, I'm wondering if she just told them to freak me out, but this is one of my favorite ones she told me, and I like to believe that it's true. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This next tale is an original short story written by Snarled's very own Adam Sinker. If you didn't know, Adam handles our social media and helps me gather stories for the show. So please enjoy House of Mirrors. And if you like it, let him know. Isaac Thompson drove his four-door sedan up the mossy hill of the temperate estates. The ride was bumpy, as the road had not been maintained, but Isaac's car would not give up nor would Isaac. This was the last house he had to sell in the temperate estates, and it constantly avoided customers. The Daylight Manor was a gorgeous Victorian country home with the blooming flowers and green grass. Butterflies flapped from one bush to the next, and melodic songbirds made their home in the oak trees that sprung out from the lawn. The house itself was cute, prim, and proper, four stories and wide enough to escape the term of tower. Covered in pastel yellow paint and outlined in white timber, the Daylight Manor was a dreamlike, idyllic cottage for any family. There was only one problem. It was a bright, cheery home, and it strived to remain that way. The wonderful sunbeams and glow of the morning light that surrounded the house was like something out of a painting, but that light never went out. For the daylight manor, it was always morning. No one in the estates could figure out the original architect of the daylight manor, so the constant stream of sun remained a mystery. This also made it very difficult to sell. The sun that shone on the daylight manor mimicked the morning rays, encouraging its occupants to wake. Residents found it very difficult to sleep when their shutters could not keep up with the heat and intensity of the daylight manor's sun. Pleasant slumbers were not common in this house, and those who purchased it would not stay long. Even more peculiar was the will of the house. Although the other homeowners in temperate estates would mark it up to fantasy, the daylight manor seemed to have an agenda to constantly keep its pleasant appearance. There has never been any written accounts about the will of the Daylight Manor, but stories have been told. A landscaper once tried to remove an oak tree from the lawn, his saw split in half upon the third attempt. New coats of paint that were applied to cover up the pastel yellow somehow dripped off the wood of the house. 
Exterminators found it impossible to remove the butterflies, and despite residents' hope that the incessant chirping would stop, the baby birds nesting in the oak trees never seemed to grow older. An endless supply of worms fed the never-aging babies, and the mothers would repeat the retrieval process every hour. One specific incident had the estates buzzing for years. A rowdy couple had purchased the Daylight Manor. Several weeks had gone by, and the couple began to argue more and more with each other. One day, a fight broke out between them, and the whole neighborhood heard it. Dishes were thrown, hits were taken, and soon every resident of the estates was phoning the police. However, once the police arrived ten minutes later, there was no evidence of domestic abuse. In fact, there was no evidence of any residents living in the daylight manor at all. The rowdy couple had seemingly disappeared, as well as all of their possessions and materials. The Daylight Manor was back to its pleasant self, awaiting another happy couple. Despite all this, Isaac was determined to find this house a favorable customer. His sedan bounced around the mossy streets in the darkness, high beams outlining the path ahead of him. After making one more turn, the manor came into view. Standing out from the darkness of the night, a beam of light descended the heavens and spotlighted the Daylight Manor. Birds chirping, butterflies flapping. This was the place. Yawning, Isaac pulled into the driveway. He grabs his books and walks up to the porch. He presses the doorbell. The annoyingly charming chime rings out twice. A haggard old man answers the door. He looks like he's lost some sleep as well. About time, the man says. He hands Isaac the key and steps out onto the porch. I'm going to go get some breakfast, the man grimaces and slaps his forehead. I mean, dinner. See you later. He walks off the porch and out of the daylight manor's reach, being enveloped by the darkness of the real world. Isaac inspects the first floor. Sure enough, everything is in its right place. Chairs pushed in inside the dining room, living room without a speck of dust, and kitchen fully stocked. Isaac opens the fridge and stares at the typical assortment of meats, cheeses, and vegetables. Shame the food stays the same, he mutters as he grabs a cheese cube. Isaac begins to check things off in his book. Wiring? Good. Plumbing? Good. As Isaac goes through the paces, he notices something about the living room he's in. There's a mirror on every wall. He tilts his head back to find one on the ceiling. How strange, says Isaac. He had never noticed the abundance of mirrors before. Isaac exits the room and looks around the stairway of the house. Mirrors there, too. Every direction is reflected. He grumbles and jots it down in his books. The Daylight Manor already had its share of superstitions. These mirrors would not help. Isaac travels up the stairwell, eyeing every mirror. Floor two contained quaint reading rooms, grand libraries, and bedrooms for children. Isaac inspects the little girl's room. Sure enough, small mirrors are placed on every wall. They are well hidden into the design of the room, some on bedposts and others on the handles of the doors. 
Some are not so inconspicuous, with entire walls being covered in reflective material. Isaac walks into the second-floor bathroom. Next to the sink is a bright pink flower vase. He looks all around him, trying to see if anyone, or anything, is present. Finding no one, Isaac knocks the vase onto the ground. It shatters into large chunks, soil spreading out across the floor. He then walks outside the room and into the hallway. Isaac inspects the reading room, checks off some boxes. Excitedly, he then rushes off back to the second floor bathroom. Inside sits the bright pink flower vase next to the sink, intact. Isaac swears, you don't control this place, I do. He spins the nearby roll of toilet paper out of control. It flips over and over, wasting paper. He then grabs the clump of paper and jams it into the toilet. He rapidly flushes the toilet until it floods, closes the door, and walks out into the hallway. He waits, and it only frustrates him further. Then, he sees it. Water seeping through the crack of the door, drenching the carpet. Isaac smiles and swings open the door, feet splashing on water. Aha! The toilet is closed. The paper is all rolled up neatly in its place, and there is no water on the floor. Confused, Isaac stares down at his feet. The soles of his boots are wet, but not the floor. Isaac curses again and stares at his reflection in the mirror. His exhausted face only angers him further. He's pushed over the edge. Isaac grabs the vase again and tosses it into the mirror. How dare you? The vase shatters into smaller pieces, and the mirror cracks. The crack splinters out from the center of the mirror, creating tiny reflections of the bathroom. Isaac stares at his fuming face, red with anger. He tries to control his breathing, but Isaac catches something in the mirror. Reflecting off from behind him is a splatter of blood. The trail leads down to a gray body with a gun in his hand and a hole in his head. Isaac jumps at the sight. He spins around. Nothing. No body. No blood. Only the spotless white tiles that cover the bathroom. He spins back to the mirror. It is fixed, recovered from the incident. Isaac stumbles back, reeling in horror as to what just happened. He quickly exits the bathroom and slams the door behind him. Trembling, he picks up his books and starts to make his way upstairs. He stops. Does every mirror hold a secret? Isaac drops his books and pen. He turns and makes his way to the little girl's bedroom. It's pink, untouched, perfect. Isaac sits down at a small stool. On top of the dresser is a small hand mirror. Isaac grabs it and searches around the desk. He finds a small, ornate angel. Isaac takes the angel and smashes the hand mirror, fracturing it. He holds it up to his face and peers around his shoulder. The girl's room looks nearly identical, except for the bed. The comforter and sheets are now in a bloody clump with rips and tears all over. They leak blood. Isaac stares at it in horror, unsure whether to turn around. The covers twitch. They begin to squirm. Isaac holds his mouth shut. 
He then catches a glimpse of silver in the corner of the reflection. Isaac adjusts his arm, slowly moving the mirror. A large man, covered head to toe in a damp burlap material, stands rigid, holding an axe. The axe strips with blood. The mysterious creature jerks its head around with a vertical stitch line going down the length of his face. Isaac's eyes go wide. It's staring at him. Isaac screams and drops the mirror. He rushes out of the room and dashes up the stairs into the third floor. He's sprinting through the hallway. The whole house begins to shake. Faces fall to the floor, as do mirrors. They shatter, showing horrid images in their reflections. Isaac makes it to the master bedroom and enters the two double doors. The shaking has stopped. Unlike the other rooms of the Daylight Manor, this one is dark. He paws around in the darkness, looking for something to illuminate the room. He bumps into objects, each one frightening him more. Finally, he sees it. Window shutters. Isaac stumbles towards them, happily muttering to himself. He pulls on the string and the shutters go up. Light pours into the master bedroom, relieving Isaac of his worries. It's normal. No blood, no bodies, no creature. But one sight confuses him. The sight straight ahead. What he presumed was a window is just another mirror. However, when he revealed the mirror, it lit up the room. Why did they shutter off this mirror? asks Isaac. The mirror stirs. It rumbles and hums. A tiny crack splits open in the center of the mirror. Isaac steps back. No. The crack spreads, creating more and more fractures. Soon, the entire mirror is covered in a spider web of fissures. Isaac nearly falls over but catches himself. In the reflection of the mirror, hundreds of previous residents lay dead. A family, obliterated from shotgun blasts. An old woman, swaying in the air with a noose around her neck. A pile of unrecognizable bodies in the corner. On the bed, a couple twitches. Stab wounds and kitchen knives litter the sheets, as does the old blood from countless deaths in the daylight manner. The double doors behind him swing open. It's the man covered in burlap. Isaac shudders, but cannot look away. He stares at the reflection of himself with the creature marching up behind him. He cannot wait any longer. Isaac spins around to remedy the scene. The bodies are gone, but the creature is not. Just as Isaac turns, the creature shoves its hand into Isaac's jaw. Using its wrist, the creature forces Isaac ahead by crushing his chin. Isaac tries to scream, but he can't make out any words. The creature gets to the mirror and slams Isaac into it. He then forcibly pushes Isaac into the mirror. It cracks and fractures, cutting Isaac's body every inch he's pushed into the mirror. The reflection seems infinitely deep, and the feeling is like crashing through layers of glass. Tears stream down Isaac's cheeks as he's fully submerged into the mirror. The burlap man, still holding onto Isaac, follows him through the mirror. He pushes until both of them are inside. A hole remains in the bedroom mirror. Every layer of the mirror is uneven, with jagged glass outlining the walls. Soon, the walls begin to come together. 
They reattach through the glass, cracking into position. The hole is gone, and the crack on the mirror fractures itself back into place. The crack reduces in size until it's completely disappeared from the mirror. The room is back to the way it was, cute, prim, and proper. Daylight flows into the master bedroom of the House of Mirrors, and the curtains close. Ooh, what a cool story. Thank you so much, Adam. And hey, if you guys liked it, make sure you let them know. And now we've reached the end with an original story from Irfan entitled The Wrong Side. When Ruth arrived at her Uncle Albert's house, the sky was submerged in a deep darkness with not a star visible amongst the clouds. The house itself was an old, decrepit mansion, with great stone walls covered with moss and vines and weeds sprouting out from the cracks in the foundations. It was attractive and yet oddly menacing, despite its outward grandeur, its solitary form, shrouded in shadows, was an eerie sight. It was as if it was gazing down at her in the darkness as she stood silently before it, waiting for her to enter. The door abruptly swung open, revealing her uncle standing in the threshold, smiling. He had a thick gray beard, wore spectacles, and had the overall appearance of a learned and sophisticated man. He welcomed her in enthusiastically, and once she was in the hallway, he rushed her into the dining room, leaving her luggage to be taken upstairs by the butler, Gerald. "'You must be starving after such a long journey,' he cried. After taking their seats at the table, he bowed his head in prayer for a few seconds, prompting her to do the same before they both began eating. He engaged her in friendly conversation, but she had a sense that his warmth was slightly forced. After dinner, Ruth excused herself and Gerald led her up to the guest room while Uncle Albert retired to his study. The room was large and spacious, with a grand four-poster bed, a wardrobe, a desk, and a few other pieces of furniture. A large mirror hung from the wall opposite the bed. Once alone in the room, Ruth walked over to the mirror and gazed at her reflection for a few seconds, before noticing some dark writing etched into the bottom of the frame. It was in Latin, which she was unable to read. She resolved to search for a translation the following day, before climbing into bed and falling into an uneasy, restless sleep. A dream unfolded in her mind. She was lying in a dark space, confined by wooden walls on either side of her. She stretched out her hand, but found that the ceiling, also wooden, was hanging just a few inches above her. She was confused and attempted to break out of this unnatural prison but it was no use. And then she heard dirt being shoveled onto the coffin in which she lay. Her heart pounded against her chest and she tried to scream, but no sound came. She felt the darkness swallowing her up and the air leaving her lungs. Ruth awoke in a cold sweat as daylight began to seep in through her window. She still felt panicked and fearful, but soon those feelings evaporated as she realized that it was only an awful dream. She had never dreamt anything like that before, but put it down to the fact that she was in an alien environment, far from the familiar comforts of home. 
After a few minutes of lying there and dwelling upon the strange nightmare, she arose and got dressed. Once again, she gazed at herself in the mirror, but this time saw that there was a scar on her cheek. She peered more closely and found that there were no less than five scars, somewhat faded. Utterly shocked, she sat down on the bed and felt the scars with her fingers. They must have been inflicted during the night, but she knew not how, for she surely would have felt something. During breakfast, which she ate in the absence of her uncle, she asked Gerald if there was a cat in the house. No, ma'am, Gerald replied. No animals in the house. Ruth was at a loss. Well, do you know how I could have got these scars then? She asked him. No, ma'am, I'm afraid not, but I'll get the doctor to take a look at them and give you something for the pain, he replied. Oh, no, that's quite all right. I'm fine, really, Ruth said quickly, not wanting to make a fuss. Her confusion deepened, however. If she didn't know any better, she would say that the scars resembled claw marks. After breakfast, she headed straight to the library, which was quite overwhelming in its grandness. After a few minutes of searching, she found the translation of the Latin easily enough. Whatever is below is similar to that which is above, and whatever is above is similar to that which is below. She was roughly familiar with the phrase, or variations of it, and had no idea why it would be carved into a mirror. She began to search the library for books on the subject, unsure quite what she was looking for. She found a few, but none with any useful material. However, after some time, she stumbled upon a book entitled Rituals. Inside the front cover was an illustration of a tree with its reflection mirrored beneath it. She flicked through and came to a chapter entitled The Left-Hand Path which contains a collection of various rituals for summoning spirits. She was confused as to why her uncle would keep a book of this nature, given his strong Christianity, and felt uneasy about looking through it herself. Nevertheless, she continued reading, and midway through the chapter found something of interest. Under the subheading, The Double Self, was a curious description of an ancient summoning ritual. Just as there is light, so there is darkness. All men and women were created in the image of God, and all have a double self in the hidden realms, created in the image of Lucifer. The double self lives in the shadows, but can be drawn out through magic. For this ritual to succeed, the following are required. Five practitioners of the ancient magic. A mirror formed with glass salvaged from the ruins of Edom. A sacrifice, preferably a young woman untainted by sin or corruption, and five candles. At this, Ruth abruptly stopped reading and dropped the book, feeling a pang of nausea in her gut. She picked up the book and arose unsteadily, replacing it on the shelf and hastily fled the library. She went up to her room and shut the door behind her. No, that's ridiculous, she murmured. Of course I'm safe here. Uncle Albert would never do anything to hurt me. I'm letting my imagination run away with me, and all because of some silly book. She sat on the bed and began to calm down as she reflected on things rationally. There was no evidence that anything untoward or sinister was going on. All she had to go on was a curious inscription at the bottom of a mirror. 
The nightmare she had the previous night and the unexplained scars on her cheek had set her nerves on edge. In reality, she knew that nothing was going on. She would only be staying with Uncle Albert for two more days, and she was determined to enjoy the remainder of her time there. That night, dinner was somewhat more awkward than it had been the previous night. Uncle Albert was quieter. He seemed to be occupied with his own thoughts throughout the meal and made no attempt to make conversation. Ruth sat silently, and as she did so, her mind returned to the troubling events of that day. She considered asking her uncle about the book of rituals she found, but just as she was about to speak up, he suddenly broke the silence, making her jump. Ruth, my dear, you've been injured, I see. Let me take a look. He made his way over to her and examined the scars on her cheek. My goodness, I didn't expect to see this, he muttered, seemingly to himself. It's nothing, really, Ruth said. Although I don't understand how it happened. I didn't feel anything in the night. Uncle Albert said nothing and returned to his seat. After a few moments, he asked her if it hurt at all to which she responded that it did not. Dinner was over quickly, and Ruth was somewhat relieved to return to her room. Her sleep was no less unsettled that night, however. She dreamt that Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, when suddenly God's voice rang out from the heavens as choirs of angels sang and commanded him to let his son live. Abraham did not seem to hear, however, and plunged his dagger into Isaac's chest. Thunder cracked as the sky turned a deep shade of red, and the angels singing became unbearably ugly and distorted. Ruth awoke, her heart thumping against her chest, but dawn had not yet broken. She checked her watch and found that it was four in the morning. Feeling a cold dread in her heart, she lifted herself out of bed. She took a sip from the glass of water that Gerald had left by her bedside and made her way slowly over to the window still drowsy. However, as she passed the mirror, something caught her eye. Her reflection, staring at her, grinning dreadfully. She turned and looked at it in sheer panic, and the reflection did not change. It held her gaze, and its smile widened. Hanging at its sides, she glimpsed sharp black claws, she ran over to the light switch, feeling sick, and flicked it on. She slowly approached the mirror again, but the terrible image was gone. She saw only herself, looking dazed and frightened. She fell back on the bed and sobbed, feeling utterly helpless. However, as she did so, she became resolved. The following day, she would make up some excuse to her uncle and leave early. She would not stay, even if it was all in her mind. As she decided this, she heard a knock on the front door. She ran over to the window and saw four figures at the door, dressed in long black robes. Her uncle opened it and welcomed them in. Ruth was in a state of panic and quickly locked the door to her room. She stood there for moments, considering what to do. As she did so, she heard muffled voices from downstairs and footsteps begin to climb the stairwell. She ran over to the window, opened it, and began to climb out, not even thinking. However, she soon felt as if she would faint and quickly climbed back inside, her head spinning. She felt sick and was utterly unsure why. 
but as she fell back onto her bed, she glimpsed the glass of water by her bedside and remembered its funny taste. Then she fell unconscious. After many minutes, Ruth resurfaced and became semi-conscious for a few moments. She saw five figures standing over her, linking hands and chanting in some foreign tongue. She saw the flicker of candlelight reflected on their robes. And she thought she heard her own voice, lost somewhere in that darkness, calling out from behind glass. Then her vision faded again. When she gradually awoke, the room was still dark and the black figures had now vanished. There was something different about it, however. Everything was on the wrong side. She sat up abruptly and ran over to the door. She threw it open, but beyond the threshold was nothing. No corridor, no house, nothing. Only darkness. She shut the door, numb with confusion and fear. She walked over to the mirror and saw her room reflected in it. But her reflection was gone. There was someone sleeping in the bed, however. It was not her, but it looked like her. She grabbed the mirror and threw it onto the floor and it shattered into many pieces. The world around her shattered as well, and she was swallowed up by darkness, lost forever. If you would like to submit a story, please send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. This podcast is also available in video form on youtube.com snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.